What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of Out of Character. I'm your host, Ryan Satin. As always, hope you enjoyed SummerSlam. I got a lot of stuff in the pipeline from when I was out there. Stay tuned. Got some good interviews that I shot. But before we get to those SummerSlam interviews, we've got a big interview on the show this week. Not a current WWE superstar. Instead, we've got a legend of the business, a Hall of Famer, someone that if you're like me, if you're an Attitude Era fan, you've been watching on TV since you were a child. We got former WCW president Eric Bischoff on the show, podcaster as well. He's got a lot of stuff he's been doing these days in the business, but we got him here on the show to talk about all sorts of stuff. Eric and I, we've been friendly for a long time, so it's a very loose conversation, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Lots of good stuff in here. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Bischoff. First, I want to ask you the same thing that I ask everybody else, and that is, how much of your real true self was there in the character that you played on TV over the years? Oh, I don't know. Probably... There's a good, there's a good 50, 60% of that smarmy, smart ass, just greasy creep. Yeah. I think it's, I th I'm not as greasy and creepy as I used to be. Maybe I still got a little of that in me. I can bring it out. You know, it's just not, it's not like I was, I was that way all the time. And I was that way on camera, but I'm not an actor. I didn't study acting. I didn't know what method acting was. So I just went out there and I was the worst part of myself with the volume turned up. Is That's it easy? Is it fun to explore that side of yourself, especially like when you were first doing it? Because, you know, before you had been the nice announcer and you were kind of like very straight laced. Was it was it fun for you to kind of turn up the heat and get to play into that part of yourself that you normally push huh. down? What's fun is getting people to hate you. And it, the, the, it's a weird thing, Ryan. I mean, until you have experienced it, you can't possibly re relate to the psychological construct of enjoying the fact that people hate you. Now, I don't just mean generally across the board, walking up and down the street, you know, people scowling at you and grabbing their kids, make sure they don't get anywhere near you and, women looking at you and just wanting to spit at you, but they wouldn't do that because it's not ladylike, right? Guys wanting to punch you in the face. That's just day-to-day -day heat. No, I don't like that kind of heat. But when you walk out into that arena and you're performing and you know that you can get that audience to react exactly the way you want them to react, exactly when you need them to react, you get what you want when you want it, and you can do it like dialing in the bass on your stereo. It's that easy. That's fun, man. That exchange of energy as a performer, you know, you're giving it, right? And then they're reacting to it, and then you're getting it back. It's like that is the most awesome feeling in the world. I think whether you're a healer, maybe as a baby face, it might like it a little bit better because human nature is, you know, to want to be liked. But kind of screwed up in that sense. I kind of dug it when people hated me. Yeah, see, I feel like the human condition, like you want to be liked. So, it, and I always have, you know, wrestlers and people in the wrestling industry go like, well, who cares if people don't like you? That's better for you. And that is hard to accept sometimes. But I'm wondering with you, you know, in your, you know, in WCW's heyday, when, you know, NWO was, like, part of the pop culture, like, zeitgeist, you know, you guys were, like, you know, pe people knew all Still the is. There's a Marvel movie coming out <laughs> called New World Order. What do you mean used to be in the zeitgeist? No. What do you mean used to be a part of pop culture? Dude, my fingerprints are all over every part of culture that you see, even today. Hey, come on. No, but I mean, like, I feel like the documentaries don't do it justice. Like, I feel like, you know, when I was a kid, wrestling was everywhere. Like, everybody knew every single wrestler. They knew all the big ones, at least. You know, they knew the, the, the Hogans and the NWOs and the Austins and the Rocks. And now sometimes, like, you don't – it's not everywhere you go where they, they are familiar with all the – they're still familiar with all those names. But, I mean, in, in terms of wrestling be like being, like, a main part of pop culture now, like – 
I don't know. I don't know if it's as big as it was because there's so many splintered off things like, you know, media isn't what it used to be. You know, there's, there's nah, a- nah, that's a, that's an excuse. That's a pissant excuse. I ain't buying that. You think Look, it's just because of the product itself? Yes. It's a product is boring. <laughs> it's just nothing new has, nothing has happened. Nothing has changed. Nothing has emerged. Nothing has evolved. It's the same formula, but the same up until recently, the same process. We're talking about WWE, who is by far the dominant. There is no competition. AEW is not competition. No matter how much Tony Khan wants to believe it is, it's not. You're in the same business, Tony. That's not the same thing as being in competition. You're not taking market share, Tony. You're just in the same business. It's kind of like having a little mom and pop, you know, hamburger stand on the corner and saying that you're, you know, in competition with Arby's. <laughs> Not. Yes. Yes. Fair. All right. Fair. But okay. Well, on that topic, other, then, other than other, let me finish this. Oh, no, sorry. Other than the fact that a new company has emerged in this space, what's changed? Nothing's changed. Whereas with. The Attitude Era and the reason that wrestling was a part of pop culture is because there was a seismic shift in the presentation of the product. It went from a teen and preteen product in the 80s and the early into the mid 90s until it became an 18 to 49 year old product with actually Nitro, which led into the the Attitude Era because Vince had to compete with that and he changed his formula. The product evolved. It was a, it, it became attractive to an entirely different audience. That's called growth. What have we seen since then? No, fair. I, I, I do agree. I think that that formula has worked so well then that they, you know, they don't try to deviate too far from it, you know, and if anything, they kind of went back more towards the kid aspect. Well, and, and there may have been a, a perfectly good, you know, financial strategy for that. You know, there may be more revenue available in a teen and preteen or family value to, or family, um, family friendly type of viewing with that, those advertisers who look for that product, right? Yep. Yeah, you may not do as well rating-wise, but you're making more money on a cost per thousand basis when it comes to advertising. And that's what this is all about. This is all about money, well, right? Then, well, then I have a question then. So obviously the, the biggest news right now, Vince McMahon has retired. Triple H is taking over head of creative. You have great insight into taking over creative for a company and, and turning things around to make it you know, something that, did enter the pop cultural pop culture zeitgeist and became and made all that happen to some degree. So and still is and, and, still, and is, still is but... and still is. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, what do you think Triple H has to do to turn things around to to make things better in in for in you know in your opinion? Here's here's what I'm excited about. Um, I'm very very optimistic. Now I'm not tight with Triple H. All right, we 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 get along, right? We, we can be together in a room and it can be very, very pleasant and, and, and uh, borderline fun, but like, we don't hang. He didn't drink anyway, but if he did, we didn't go out for drinks, right? None of that. We don't chat. So I don't know him personally, but I did get a chance to, for a brief, very, very, very brief period of time, four months back in 2019, get a chance to work with him. Here's what I think. I think Stephanie has been, the head of creative under Vince. I think Triple H has been the head of creative under Vince. I think both of them know that is phenomenal of a process as Vince McMahon's process was and what it achieved over the last couple of decades. The fact that it's a $5 billion market cap company with a global footprint speaks to Vince McMahon and his process. If I'm right, there is a whole lot of talented people that I did get to work with a lot over a short period of time that I have nothing but admiration, not just respect, that comes along with the admiration. So at the same time, you've got all new, a, a new creative regime, although it came up within the, you know, under the mentorship of one Vince McMahon. That's a great thing, by the way. Uh, but they also see that, you know, things have to change. Oh, and by the way, if this TV 14 thing or whatever it is, is true, that means we get a whole bunch of different colors that we can put on our palette to paint our pictures with. 
Wow. We're no longer restricted to just these few little colors here because these are safe colors and advertisers love these colors. And this is where we make our money. But if we're going to move into a different rating because the networks are comfortable with the fact that they can increase revenues by going a little older and skewing a little older, well, that gives writers and producers more colors to paint pictures with. I have no idea. Uh, I have no insight here. Don't want to get in trouble with my bosses who are maybe watching this. No insight into the rating change. But I feel like it's not. I feel like it was just a technicality. I feel like it was, I think, just, in my opinion, I don't think it was an internal thing. I think that it was just a... a Speculation. Somebody said, hey, what if we do this? And then it turned into a leaked memo. Yes, exactly. And I think it was a case of bad reporting, which I know that you uh, definitely are critical of in, in the wrestling realm. No, I, I mean, I like some reporting. Some of it's pretty good. Some of it's just childish. It's like letting you know, somebody, you know, a, a friend of mine posted something today that he was disappointed that, you know, so many, quote unquote, I'm, I'm just, I can't even do air quotes on this. So many dirt sheet writers who pretend to be journalists go to a media scrum. And in, in, in the perspective of my friend, he said, you know, it's pretty apparent to me that they're more interested in being content creators than actual reporters. And my response on social media, you can find me at, at E. Bischoff on Twitter. My response just a couple hours ago was, you know, they're dirt sheet publishers. They're not journalists. And expecting a dirt sheet publisher to have the same integrity as a journalist is like expecting an airline passenger who just really, really loves to fly because they just love airplanes, expecting that person to land a 767. It's just never going to happen. It is what it is. I saw that tweet, and it, that's what made me think of that just now when we were talking about this, because I, I've been on the media calls. I've been to the media scrums. I, uh, and I do think that sometimes, like, it's uh, some of the people there. Not all of them. There are some, some, some good reporters in there and stuff. But I do think that some people get invited that, or get asked to be there who are really just there trying to be, say, who are really excited to say they spoke with, with, so-and-so, whoever's doing the call, you know, ahead uh, of the company, whether it be You're Triple H. boys. They're yeah. just fans. Because sometimes I listen They're to the questions, fans. and I'm like, I would be like the last question. And I'm like, how did this not get asked when there were 15 people ahead of me? And because, this was the most pressing because thing. Because they're fanboys, and they want to be fan friend boys, right? They don't yeah. want to ask any tough questions. They don't want to put anybody on the spot because they're not going to be fan friend boys anymore. They're just going to be fanboys. Now they're fan friend boys. That's why. Yeah. No, I, 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 you're not, you're not wrong. On I'm never wrong on this <laughs> stuff. I'm always right. That's why you reached out to me. You said, who can I talk to? That's always right. When it comes to this stuff, who, who's the honest person I can go to, or we can just trash the Twitter for a while, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, just stomp a mud hole in them. Were you an early adopter of the internet or did it take you a while to kind of like get on the internet wave? You know what's the truth? I've always been fascinated with communication. When I, when I was a little kid growing up in Detroit, we had a neighbor who had a, a citizen's band radio in his workbench, in his workshop. And a citizen's band radio just allows you to talk on a radio within a two or three mile radius. Now, keep in mind, this is back in the 60s. I had a phone on a, we had one phone on the wall, a rotary dial, but we were on what's called the party line. Meaning we shared that line with a half a dozen or a dozen other people in our neighborhood. So if we were on it, you live next door and you were on our party line, you, you, you could listen to our phone conversation, but you couldn't use your phone until I hung up. That's crazy. That, honestly, it, even that concept is so foreign to me. I didn't even know that was a thing. That's crazy. That, and that was in Detroit. That's 10 mile aggression. Two miles from eight mile. Famous for the song and the movie. Come on. <laughs> and so... I mean, that's what I grew up with. And then this guy who has Citizens Band Radio, he could talk to people all over all over Detroit without even having to talk on the phone. It's amazing. <laughs> and then when I got a little older, I got a Citizens Band mobile radio that I could put in my dad's car so that when my dad wasn't using the car, I had to be careful not to run the battery down because I was too young to start the car. But I'd go out to the car and I'd talk to people all over. It was just like fascinating. And I've always had that. Guess what I have? I'm a ham. I'm a licensed ham operator, technician, because I, I'm really into ham radio. So for me, all the internet was, was a different version of 
that I've been sorry. Is this a, I, they'll believe it a, out. It doesn't matter. All right. Sorry. I apologize. No, it's okay. Um, all, 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 all the internet was, was a different version of, you know, really cool stuff where you could talk to people all over the world and have to not have to do it on the phone. I loved it. I was an early adapter. Yeah. Yeah, I remember getting AOL like in the very early days when they were sending out the CDs and stuff and, and being like, whoa, this is this is crazy. But I don't think for me, you know, wrestling news, I don't remember being on wrestling news sites until, I don't know, like the late 90s, like the 99s, the 98s, I'd say. But I feel like that those wrestling news sites then were even were just the worst. You, oh, you should have. I mean, you should have been reading them back in '95 when Dave Meltzer was, you know, predicting that. Oh my God, Eric Bischoff's going head to head with Monday Night Raw. He's going to get killed. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to get slaughtered. Blah 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 blah. blah. Cut to killing him, <laughs> stomping him, stomping him mud hole. Nitro was Nitro was competitive head to head. Remember that when you say you're competitive, but you're actually competing. It's like me saying that you know, I, I fought Mike Tyson. Well, I didn't really fight Mike Tyson, but I watched him on TV. So same thing, <laughs> but, 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 um, right out of the shoot, Nitro was, you know, successful. It was competitive from day one, uh, actually day two, cause day one, they were the Westminster dog show was up, but you get my point. <laughs> um, yeah, you should have read it back then. It was really fun to read. I can Mabel only was going to be the third man. It was reported that Mabel was under consideration. Dave Meltzer <laughs> said that. And, and then when I called him out on my podcast, because he did all this stuff, see all that stuff that came out in 99, 2000, all that stuff before that, you know, nobody thought, oh, someday these people that I'm bashing and lying about are actually going to have podcasts and they can call me out on this stuff. I thought it's so much fun. It's why I like your podcast so much. It's so it's it's so entertaining. And same with Pritchard when, you know, as someone who is a news person, I, I actually like how Conrad is reading old news you know, articles to you guys or, you know, things that were reported and then getting your guys' insider perspective on it from someone who actually was there and lived it. Like, to me, that's what makes your guys' show so valuable. Here's, here's, a, here's a classic one. So Conrad says, according to Dave Meltzer, you know, Mabel was under consideration to be the third man, the NWL. I, and I blew a gasket. I was like, what in the hell? Where did they? And I just ripped Dave Meltzer and his dirt sheet thing. I just ripped it. And then Dave reacted because he's emotionally not the most stable person I've ever met. And of course he reacted and he sold like a, you know, little school girl. And he goes, well, I had on, you know, I got that from Sean Waltman. And I, and I said to Conrad, well, the next week I said, Sean Waltman didn't even work in WCW at the time. <laughs> so Dave Meltzer's source about a ridiculous rumor was from a guy who didn't even work in the company. <laughs> That's everything you need to know. That's I, why they'll never land a 767. I think the Don't number the one tools. problem, as a former, as a guy who reported a lot of news, I do think that one of the landmines people walk into is is uh, having their source be one wrestler. And you're like, well, that one wrestler, there's that's the worst person. You gotta get, you gotta get way more sources than one wrestler for something like yeah. that. Yeah, and, and especially when that one wrestler has an agenda. You know yes. what I mean? It's yes. like whatever leaked information you're going to get is going to benefit that person. <laughs> well, I want to know, yeah. you know, you brought up WCW. And obviously, I know you've talked about everything under the sun when it comes to WCW. But I was wondering, you know, as someone who, you know, I like hearing people's success stories or people going after their, their dreams and stuff. So I was wondering, like, do you think it's important in life, even if you know, to go after the things that you want, even if you're going to hear the word no? Because like for you. I'm sure there, there could have been someone else that they could have thought of for the job. But since you went for it, wanted it, applied for it, talked about it, went to the people needed, like you got it and your whole life was changed because of it. So do you think it's important to go after things that you might not necessarily get just because you want it? Oh my gosh. I, I can't think of anything more important than, than, you know, I, I, I taught my kids and, and I've lived my life embracing no and embracing fear. And that's hard to explain and make it sound intelligent. But first of all, I've never taken no for an answer. If there's something I want, no, if you, if, if I don't really care one way or the other, and you tell me, no, I'll just move along. I don't really care. I'm not passionate about it. But if I see something I want, and somebody tells me no, my first thing is why? Why? 
Why no? What is it? And I'll overcome that. I'll fix that. I'll kill it. I'll change it. I'll make it disappear. Whatever I have to do to make no go away. And all, all no does is tell me what I have to focus on. That's, that's just no is yes waiting to happen to me. I don't mean to sound like a sales coach, but absolutely. Any other, but, the, but the bigger one, and this, this is part of it, is fear of failure. You know, we're taught at such a young age, you know, to be afraid of failure. Oh, my gosh, you can't fail. Well, why not? How do, you, how, do you, how do you convince someone to try and to be an entrepreneur or to have confidence in themselves while you're also teaching them to be afraid to fail? Um, look, I've, I've taken my lumps, man. I've, I've been an entrepreneur all of my life. And I've done some brief stints as a corporate executive with Turner and for a cup of coffee, WWE. But for the most part, I've been an entrepreneur since I was eight or 10 years old. I ran away from home and went up, picked up pop bottle caps all over my neighborhood and sold them door to door so I could get bus money to go to my cousin's house. I don't remember it. My mom and dad told me that story. I think I was younger than eight, actually. But from that time on, I've always chased what I wanted. And I've... And it's true with every entrepreneur. I don't know what the statistics are, but I imagine, you know, most entrepreneurs fail seven or eight out of ten times, seven or eight times out of ten. I have, and I keep doing it. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I'm 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 pursuing an opportunity that I'm learning as I go. I'm surrounded by some really smart people. You know, it's one of the things you learn along the way. You know, surround yourself with people that are a whole lot smarter than you to reduce the risks of making the same mistakes you made last time. <laughs> but, you know, um, I'll, and if I fail, I fail. And I'll try something new next time. And I'll just be a little smarter. It's a hard Do lesson to learn, though. To fail and don't be afraid to fail and laugh when people tell you no, because they're actually doing you a favor. They're telling you what you need to work on. I think it's very valuable advice that's why i asked it because even if i feel that way i think sometimes you it's it's uh if you don't have someone telling you that uh the, it is easy to think about the to have that fear of failure be so prevalent in your mind when you're doing anything and, and have it deter you from doing that so you know with someone like you i i like hearing that because obviously you know like some of the things that you had i mean you've had public things happen that that were you know considered some might consider a failure but to see you always bounce back from it is it's Listen. always inspiring 2017, I had to file bankruptcy at 60 years old or whatever I was at the time. 62? Yeah, 62 years old. When most people my age are retiring, and I've made millions of dollars, by the way. It's not like I've you know, just been putzing along. You know, I mean, I've, I've done fairly well in my life. Uh, I've made more money outside of wrestling than I made inside of wrestling, and I made a lot of money in wrestling. But because I'm an entrepreneur, because I'm a risk taker, and because I get passionate about things, I got involved in a very in a, in a tech-based uh, opportunity, and all of the the homework that we did, all the diligence we did, the quality of the people we were doing it with, all of it was just it couldn't have been a better situation. The market was right for this particular idea, everything was great, and invested heavily, personally, not other people's money, not money I inherited, not money I. I borrowed money I had in the bank that I earned. That was my retirement. And, and I put it all on the line. Guess what? Bam! Didn't work. It was, a, it was a highly regulated business in Europe, and the regulations all changed. No one saw that coming. And bigger companies didn't have any problem with it, but a small startup wasn't prepared to, 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 to deal with that. So I, boom, hit bankruptcy you know, dirt sheets had a blast with it. Oh, failed again. Can't manage his own business. It was a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. It was not a personal bankruptcy. It was a corporate bankruptcy. But guess what? It was Chapter 11, which means the debts didn't go away. I still have to pay them off 100%. But guess what else? I had five years, six years to do it, according to the bankruptcy plan. I paid it off in three. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And my net worth is into the seven figures. Hell yeah. I'm better. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I wish, I, I wish my, they could cue the music right there. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my point about that is not bragging. 
Um, it's not, but it's, I'm 62 years. You know, how do you think I felt for a, a period of time at 62 years old having to be, because I knew it was going to go public. Can't not go public. Right. I forget about the, you know, what am I going to do? I'm 62 years old. It's not like I get to, you know, start over, you know, but you just, I, I, as an entrepreneur, you learn to reinvent yourself. And that's exactly what I did. And I surrounded myself with really, really good people. And I stayed very, very positive. I stayed grateful for the things I did have. and didn't whine and complain and moan and be miserable bubble about the things that happened to me or the decisions I made. Just, okay, next, let's do it again. Here we are. All right, question. Uh, since we're on the topic of WCW, is there any WCW memorabilia that you still have in your possession that's like your stuff that you'll never give away? Zero. Nothing? You have nothing from WCW from your time there? No, I've never been that guy. I've never, I, you know, like I got a picture of me and Muhammad Ali up here. You can't see it, I don't think. No. There's another one of Muhammad Ali. You can see a little bit of him. He's boxing. You can see his right hand, his glove there. He autographed that for me. Uh, there's my WWE uh, side plates for my Hall of Fame thing. Next to that is another picture of Muhammad Ali and I together, but this picture was actually made in Pyongyang, North Korea. It's not really a picture. It's not a piece of slate. And this little Korean guy called us over and sat there with a, with a little hammer and his little tiny, I don't know what it was. It was like a little tiny miniature chisel. Okay. And he chiseled this amazing picture of us. I'm going to get it for you. Okay. I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> So oh, that's so see, cool. Oh, that's, that's sick. That's awesome. That's in Slate. That's And sick. all of the shading and the imagery that you see was all done by him Damn. by hand Damn. in the course of about 40 minutes or 45 minutes. Wow, really? That's crazy. Yeah, it was so cool. But that's it, man. That's all I got. I, I, I've just never held on to things. Dang. Um, I know. I wish I had a right. Sonny Ono, that little pack rat. He's probably got $700,000 of the stuff stashed in his house in Mason City, Iowa. Shouldn't have said that. He's probably going to get robbed now. <laughs> but he does. I remember he was on the, the most, uh, the, 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 the WWE show that was on uh, A&E recently where he had some memorabilia. Yeah, he's crazy. He's a pack rat. But I, not me, man. I never kept anything. I don't have any pictures. What about like? No, I do have a picture of me and Jay Leno up on the wall, but somebody gave that to me. I didn't hang on to it. I just happened to keep it because it was a gift, and I felt bad throwing it away. What about like in that time period, like when they would have weird products, like I don't know, like the WCW cologne. Like when the when the WCW cologne comes out, like would those products be run by you, and you'd get like you'd get one, or was it just kind of like it doesn't even not even a thing no, that came on your they, radar? They didn't run it by me. Licensing and merchandising handled that. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't get involved with that stuff. They may have sent me a bottle, but did you ever smell that stuff? No, I was going to ask if you had, cause I've always wondered what it smelled like. You couldn't get laid if you got hit by a truck. I just, it was horrible. It was so bad. <laughs> Is that bad to say? No, 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 it's not bad to say at all. And that's, that's what I would picture a nitro cologne smelling like. So it's good to know that my thought process was right on this one. I saw a bottle on eBay last night when I was <laughs> writing some of this down. I saw a bottle on eBay for $275. You get the hell. It was Sonny Ono, that crook. <laughs> A little pack, rat. <laughs> Did you have a WCW credit card? No. Dang. No, I didn't have anything. None of that stuff. None of that stuff. None of it. You know what I, I did? I think I, and maybe I still have it stashed in a storage unit somewhere between Stanford, Connecticut, Phoenix, Arizona, Cody, Wyoming, and Atlanta. I think I've got storage units everywhere. For a guy that doesn't keep stuff, I should have a lot of storage units. Um, keep your kids' stuff. You know, it's like I can't throw away my kids' stuff. Like I still have the first wagon that I bought my son. Right? <laughs> it's it's forty years old. I was gonna say, like your oldest. Yeah, that's 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 the that's, that's ridiculous. But I still have it. I still have the chair that my wife would 
when she was pregnant with our first son, we lived in a little farmhouse in northern Minnesota. Honest to God, the only heat that it had was a wood stove in the basement. This is in Minnesota. This is little house on the prairie stuff here, right? But we had a wicker rocking chair that I bought at like Kmart for like $32, probably bounced a check for it. And it was just wobbly, but it was right next to the, the fireplace upstairs. In the wintertime, Mrs. B would sit there with a, you know, she, she was only 22, but she looked like she was 14. I couldn't even take her out in public. <laughs> she looked so young when she was pregnant. She was 22. I was 27. It wasn't that big, 20, 28. You basically work here. Right? Yeah. But she looked like she was 14. So I'd take <laughs> her out in public in this little town we lived in northern Minnesota. People look at me like, dirty, rotten. Oh, my <laughs> You're ashamed of yourself. <laughs> so we'd sit there and my wife would rock in that rocking chair. And now we still have it. It's in my storage unit in Phoenix. My, my I keep that stuff. My fiance, when we moved into her house to start taking care of her mom, her garage was filled with literally every single piece of her life stored away somewhere. And we couldn't even move in our garage. And I, I had to be like, please let me throw some of this stuff away. And so one by one, I'd have to like bring it over and she'd be like, but that's the chair my mom rocked me on. I'm like, it's broken. It's just broken pieces of wood over here in the corner. And she's like, no, we, we got to keep that. So we kept, we, I, I know what it's like to live with someone like that. So I get it for sure. I, I, I feel like, man, that's crazy. You don't own, own any WCW memorabilia. I bet you in your storage, there's something that you wouldn't expect. I don't think so. I mean, I've got some WWE action figures that I was given right after when they first came out, when I worked for WWE, they're in a box somewhere. I don't know where I know I have them because I've, I've moved a couple of times and I've seen them, but um, other than, that's it, man. I just, I've never, I've never just hung. And here's the other thing. The reason there's some things I hang on to is because they represent part of who I am. My involvement in wrestling doesn't at all represent who I am. It represents what I did. I'm proud of what I did and I'm grateful beyond everything for what I did, but it's not like part of my family or it's just, it's what I did, not who I am. And there, there's, therein lies the difference, I guess, in what I keep and what I don't. Well, this might be a loaded question, but like you say, you know, it's who, what you did and not who you are. Like, what would you say is the defining thing of like who you are as a person? I think I'm a pretty good dad. I think my kids would agree. Pretty good husband. I think my wife would agree. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, family is important, obviously. Let's talk briefly. Like I said, I know you've talked about WCW and the NWO a million times in your life. Uh, I was wondering, out of all the members of the NWO, if you could go back in time, and stop yourself from adding one wrestler to the group, who would it be? <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> Is that too mean of a here's, question? Here's what I'm faced with. Do I name somebody that's still with us and then I get to see him at a convention next month? <laughs> or, do, or do I choose someone that's no longer with us, but now I'm talking ill of a dead person? Fine. I cannot win. It's a horrible question. Fine. Fine. Pick on the living or bury the dead. Again, no, I'm not doing it. I'm falling for it, Ryan. Fair, fair. Okay, okay. If you could have had anyone join the NWO in its heyday, contracts aside, besides anyone besides Stone Cold Steve Austin, who would you have wanted to join the NWO the most? Look, if Shawn Michaels wouldn't have been such a head case at the time, nothing respectful. I mean, Shawn turned his life around. I mean, Shawn lives, from what I know, an exemplary life. He's a good husband. He, he's a good person. He, he, he figured it out. But I wouldn't have wanted to have him anywhere near my roster back then. Now, if he would have been able to figure out everything he's figured out in the last 20 years, back in 1996, absolutely. Would have loved to have a, a healthy, stable Shawn Michaels on that, on that NWO roster. Absolutely. That would have been epic for sure. That would have been awesome. You mentioned it earlier. You talked about, you know, NWO still being part of the pop culture zeitgeist. We got Captain America, New World Order 
coming out. If the NWO wrestled against the Avengers, who do you think would win? Oh, yeah, NWO. The NWO. <laughs> Seriously? I mean, the, Seriously? The, the Avengers have superpowers. The NWO's the NWO. You think How? Hulk Hogan's taking on the Hulk? I think he'd make Kevin Nash do it. You tell you, all right. You get you get Hulk Hogan against Captain America. Do you think those are the two that go up against each other? Oh, that has to be. That is your main event. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> Captain America versus Captain America wannabe? Come on. That's perfect. <laughs> what could have come out of that red and white mask? You know? That, oh. Oh. I would love to see that. That would be that'd be the real forbidden door right there. NWO against the Avengers. <laughs> well, I want to I want to talk about your book before I get you out of here. I know you got a book coming out, and I saw you teased that your new book. Uh, it's it's very different than most wrestling books. In what way is this different than other wrestling books? Well, it's about wrestling. It, it really is because it, you know, I've had two careers in wrestling. You know, I had my. WCW career, my WWE career, my post WWE career, my TNA career, my WWE career again. You know, I mean, I've, I, clearly I can't hold a job, but it, <laughs> I've had some good experiences. You know, I've seen some stuff. I wrote it all down. No, I'm kidding. I didn't. Um, so we talk about wrestling and that, that, my journey over the last 15 years, but really it's all about what I've learned and, and why. And I give very specific examples and a lot of great stories, especially over the last five years, the five years have been the most impactful for me because I've learned after all of these years and my wife beating me, just beating me verbally and just, I'm not, I'm not beating me up in the summer, but, but trying to convince me to look at the positive side of things and, and have a different attitude. Because I've always been really competitive. Along with being an entrepreneur, you get really competitive. And for me, when I'm really competitive, I'm really competitive not only with other people, but with myself. And I can turn into a real jackass in a minute um, when I'm really, really pushing. And in that process, you often, I often didn't really appreciate all of the things that were going on around me the way I should. And I, I, I tell a couple, one story in particular, I know you probably got to go, but one story in particular is two. I'm not rushing one here. Is, we're good. We got time. The first one, and I won't go into the detail of the story because otherwise there's no reason to buy the book. And that's what I'm here for. I'm a, I'm a whore. <laughs> we're selling books here, people. I'm a whore. All right. <laughs> Bishop.book.com. But, <laughs> but I, I Going back to what I was talking about, man, when, when this project I was working on, just when the, when the bottom fell out, it became apparent what was going to happen to me financially. I was struggling. I was bouncing off. I didn't hit rock bottom, but I was bouncing off. I, I knew what it looked like. Got close enough a couple of times. And I, I found myself having to go to independent shows and autograph sightings. I'd never done that before. I'd always, I'll, I'll never be one of those guys. I'll never be one of those guys that, you know, showing up, signing autographs at little conventions and independent wrestling shows. I'll never do that. Guess what? I did because I had to. And I went to it and I, I had this, you know, I was gritting my teeth. And I got there and I had so much fun. I had a blast. And it reminded me of me when I first started in the wrestling business and backstage in the fun, in the excitement of it. And no, it wasn't sexy. No, there weren't 10,000 people there. No, I wasn't on primetime television at that time. I was just happy to be working in a, in a television and wrestling environment. I was, I was in the production side of things, but it was so exciting. And I saw that in the faces of some of those young kids that were backstage at this particular event. It was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And it changed me, not, not like overnight, but it, it, it cracked the door, let's put it that way. And I kept having 
similar experiences. And then fast forward, I met this, I was at a Comic-Con in Phoenix, and there was a young lady. At the end of it all, I was a moderator. I was up there with Hulk Hogan and, and Sting. And young lady stood up at the end, and she told me the story. And it was directed towards me. And about her and her father since passed. And the only time they got to spend together, because he was two jobs and not the best home life and things like that. And, but when her, but on Monday nights, her and her dad, that was her father daughter time. That was her only father daughter time. You'll read about it in the book, but fast forward a little while and my wife gets a email. This young lady tracked my wife down and said, told a story about her and her dad and See, I'll start crying if I talk about this. <laughs> I, know, I can feel it coming up in me while you're talking about it. I'm like, oh, this is like, I, I can resonate this with crazy, this. But she reached out to my, I'm going to try to hold it, to keep it together. She, she reached out to my wife. She told the story. She said, hey, I'm, I'm getting married. I know chances are it'll never happen. But do you think, <laughs> damn it, do you think Eric would walk me down the aisle? Aw. And, and I did. I went, and it was one of the greatest things I ever did. And then that's when I went, okay, wait a minute. I'm hustling. I'm grinding. I want to be number one. I want to beat Vince McMahon. I want the money. I like the fame. I love that, 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 that. Cars and boats and airplanes. Had my own airplane for crying out loud. Got my pilot's license. Flew the damn thing all over the country by myself. Yeah, this is cool. But I never stopped to appreciate how much the things I was involved in, things that I touched, had a positive impact on other people. And when I started realizing that, it changed everything for me. My outlook. How do you think I was able to do what I did in three short years um, to, to be able to kick out of that BK end up with a seven-figure net worth, beautiful home in Wyoming, all the good stuff. You know, I'm not, I can't retire. I don't have a couple million dollars in the bank. I, can't, I mean, I can't go out and not work anymore. I'm still hustling, but I would do that anyway because I love to hustle. But I was able to do that really because of learning how to be great, not learning how, just giving myself time to appreciate and, and be grateful for the things around me that, that really are important. And once that started happening, I met Conrad Thompson. Conrad and I, it was a little touch and go. No, it was more than touch and go. There was one time when I first met Conrad that I, in my mind, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have really done it. I don't want to make it sound like the thought was actually something that I was going to take action on. But there was a minute or two when I want to punch him right between his eyes. I was at his house. He invited me to his, here's a short story. He's invited me to his house. He's got a bunch of friends. He's invite someone like me in. And it's all they want to do is talk wrestling. And it was fun for about an hour and a half until enough alcohol started flowing that it got a little belligerent. And I'm thinking, you know, you know here's the thing, dude. <laughs> There's four or five of you and you're a big guy. And I know I'm going to go down, but we're going, you know, I, the thought was there. Yes. And, and he's ended up to be one of my best friends. He's ended up being a mentor to me in many respects. And I met his family, and his family is just like Conrad. It's just the most wonderful people. And they're surrounded by wonderful people because that's what they attract. And all of this started happening to me sequentially over the past five or six years. And it's the difference between me now and me then. And that's what that book is about. The journey. Wrestling, well, yes, but me more. <laughs> well, dude, honestly, as like a someone who has been, you know, a fan of yours, we've been friendly for a while, and just someone who's been watching you pretty much like since as long as I can remember, you know, being like a little kid watching wrestling and stuff, and like seeing you in the past couple years and seeing how much you have accepted the fan base more because i remember you being that kind of like person who wasn't really who wasn't going to the conventions who didn't want to like mingle with all the fans who did kind of hold yourself in a different way and i i i understand that because in some ways like i i can relate to that and so 
you know, seeing the way you've adopted it and kind of like changed your stance on things the past couple of years has been cool from from a fan perspective just to see you do it. So to hear that it was something so emotional that that led you there, um, it's it's I I think that's like the perfect place to end this conversation because like man, that's it right there. Like the, you know, you hear about what wrestling means to people and. Sometimes when you're working on it, you take it so seriously because you're you're so deep in it and you forget that like to some people, this is just something that has given them escape from bad things, you know, that they can just watch this and be entertained and escape the world for however many hours a day. And I think that that's or, 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 or just experience such a great moment with friends or family. It doesn't yes. always have to be an escape from bad things. It could just be a great fun thing that, yes. you know, binds you in a way and, and creates a memory that you share with family or friends for life. And that's the thing, brother, when I, when I hear my peers, people, my age or in that era that are bitter and angry and, always talking about all the negative things that happened. It's like, man, don't you know, don't you know how much fun you really had? Don't you know how lucky you really were? Don't you know that you've seen things and you've been places and you've had opportunities that a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of 1% of the people in the world will ever get to experience. Come on. And then I, and then I see younger guys and gals in the ring and I want to reach out to every one of them and say, stop right now. Stop. Whatever, however wrapped up you are and whether or not you're going to get you know, to wrestle in the main event of the next pay-per-view or whatever your thing is, because it is, it's a competitive, and I'm not making fun of that. It is a competitive business. And being an, being an actor, an actress, a musician, whatever, if it's talent, it's competitive, right? So I get that part too. But take time to go, wow, look where I am. Look what I get to do. This is pretty awesome. And just appreciate it because it goes by you like sorry it goes by you fast <laughs> sorry mr microphone it goes by you fast and and then it's gone take the time to dig it because you should and you will just don't wait till you're almost 70 and you're out <laughs> Well, Eric, I really appreciate you doing this today. I'm glad we got to have this conversation. I could talk to you for hours, uh, so hopefully we get to do this again in the future. But really, uh, make Anytime, sure you guys brother. go get his book, too. Make sure you guys get the book. What's the link for the book again? Oh, no, wait a minute. No, I got to tell Okay, I got to do a little more shilling here. All right, yeah, shill a little bit. Let me put Let me put on my high heel shoes. <laughs> uh, my low-cut top. No one wants to see that. Um, here's the deal. If you, if you pre-order now, bischoffbook.com, not only, not only will you get a re, an autograph copy from both myself and Guy Evans, okay, but you guys need to know something. Now I should keep this quiet. This should be a secret because this is this is going to change publishing as we know it. All right? You got my this attention. book could be a this book could be a collector's item. It may be a collector's item. Not like Gutenberg Bible collector, not that level. But close, because this book will be the first book, unless somebody gets real aggressive real fast and, and beats me to the punch. I don't think they will. This book will be the first book in the history of books going all the way back to that Gutenberg Bible that will have a QR code at the end of every chapter. And not only will you have this physical book that's been autographed, it's a piece of history. It's a legacy. It's a tangible book. You can hold it. You can smell it. Whatever. But it'll have a QR code that will take you to an interview with a principal subject that was a part of the previous chapter. An exclusive interview that you will not be able to find anywhere else. Only those people that have those books. This has never been done in the entire publishing industry. Disclaimer that I'm aware of. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> I gotta say that's a cool idea, though. I, I I like that you guys did that. I mean, I know you're doing your salesman thing, but that's pretty cool. It actually it is pretty cool, and, and and full transparency, it's not my idea. I I somebody else came to me with that idea. Said, "Hey, I wonder why nobody's ever done this." And I asked permission. His name is Brad Blajukian, by the way. He's writing a book currently called The Six Pack. He wrote a book previously called The Wax Pack. It was a baseball book. Six pack is about six individual wrestlers. I'll let him do the pitch, but he's traveling all over the East coast right now. He was just down in Tampa meeting with B Brian Blair. He met with the Sheik. He met with Tito Santana. He's, 
Anyway, it's going to be a good book, but it was his idea, and I asked him if I could steal it, and he said, please do, because my publisher won't do it. <laughs> well, definitely go get the book. Go listen to the podcast, 83 Weeks. You got the ad-free shows. He's doing a lot of stuff. Make sure you guys go check it out. Eric, thank you so much. Love you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Anytime, brother. You know how to find me. Have a good one. All right, that was my conversation with the one, the only, Eric Bischoff, Easy e You even got to hear him sing his own theme song. Got the I'm Back song from him. All right, super fun. Oh, before I go, I know we just said it there, but make sure that you go to bischoffbook.com if you want to get the book. Grateful is the name of it. Make sure you check it out. Okay, speaking of housekeeping type stuff, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast feed. If you're watching this on video, I appreciate it. What's up all of you on the WWE on Fox YouTube channel? What's good? But make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast feed as well. If you're sitting there at your computer, if you're looking on your phone watching this, just flip up, grab it, whatever. Go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and go subscribe to this feed. If you're watching on video, you're missing stuff that's only in the podcast feed. There's Raw and SmackDown roundups doing breaking news stuff in there as well sometimes. So make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast feed. Out of character with Ryan Satin. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. I appreciate those very much. And I read them on the Roundup podcast. So please leave a rating or review. It helps out a lot. You can do it on Spotify as well. But I don't think you can leave a, a review there. Just a rating. So make sure you hit those five stars. And also, if you're listening on the podcast feed, what's up? Appreciate you being on there. Please do the rating and review thing, like I said. But also, go subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. That's where you can find the video of this show premiering every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific time. It's where you can find clips of the show throughout the week. You can find the community tab there. You can find clips from Raw and SmackDown. There's so much going on on the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. So make sure that you go subscribe over there as well. You can follow us on social media too, at WWE on Fox on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok. I've been saying that for so long on here. You guys have no idea how good it feels to say that I've actually filmed some TikToks for the WWE on Fox TikTok. They should already be out by now. So go follow us, WWE on Fox on TikTok. I'm also on Twitch, Ryan Satin streams, watching some classic wrestling there. Oh, okay, I said it all. All right, that's it. I'm done officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this is Out of Character.